It is Locked On Jazz for the 26th of May. Yesterday, we discovered massive stuff about no rim and NBA playoffs being different. And now we dig into what it means for Rudy Gobert. Jordan Clarkson, season in review, a tale of two halves. And we go into the Charlotte Hornet closet to see what we can raid. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. Pow, pow, pow. Now, pow. You are Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi, I'm David Locke, radio voice of Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan each and every day. Thank you very much for making Locked on Jazz the first listen of the day. We are free and available on all platforms for you. Yes, we are coming from the van today. We are, uh, my daughter has a golf tournament and my wife is out of town at her niece's uh, college graduation. And so I am in charge. And so nobody is like my, everyone's still fed. My daughter's 17, frankly, she can totally handle it herself. But uh, we are down here at Thanksgiving point. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm doing the show for you out of the van without the regular microphone set up. Um, a little old schooly today. Yesterday we were like the new school, new graphics. Um, so uh, this is the this is the new school. Uh, this is the old school, except for it's it's in the van. So, all right. So yesterday was a fascinating show, and this is really fun to go on the journey with you because we're really kind of discovering stuff as we go along. And what we discovered yesterday is that while the NBA defenses are completely set now to deny teams the rim. That's their number one thing that they're trying to do every single day is deny the rim from teams. I'm going to do something with the lighting here because it's freaking out. There we go. Let's see if that makes it a little better. Uh, it's a little, gives you a little bit of a strobe effect, though. You probably, um, hmm. Uh, so anyway, um, the... If that strobe effect is too much in the chat room, let me know. Uh, so what we discovered yesterday was that if you look at it, the number one thing that's going on in the league is you deny the rim. And it's happening all regular season, and you deny the rim, you deny the rim, and it's the Milwaukee Bucks started, and it's become a massive part of the league now to deny the rim. But then what we discovered also was the teams that win. So in other words, the teams that are – getting into the playoffs and advancing in the playoffs are the teams that are the least rim-dependent teams in the league. And to some extent, that might be intuitive, but it wasn't what we expected, and it hasn't been the case in the past. So then I went after the show and thought I'd scan some numbers for you. And this is pretty interesting. In the playoffs, the entire playoffs are below 30% shots at the rim. In fact, so in the regular season, it was a big deal if a team is under 30%. And in the playoffs, the entire the league is at 32.5% of shots at the rim during the regular season. Now during the playoffs, instead of 32.5%, it's down to 284 
So we've dropped another four percentage points of shots at the rim. You you just can't, you're not going to get shots at the rim. What about three-point shots? That used to be the holy grail, but we showed you allowing threes doesn't seem to have an indication. In the regular season, uh, excuse me, allowing threes doesn't have a uh, indication or an, uh, is not an indicator of whether you win or lose. In the regular season, 37% of all shots are threes. In the postseason, 37% of all shots are threes. So you're not seeing the rim shots move to threes. Threes are staying the same. You are seeing the rim shots move to mid-range shots. In the postseason, 34% of all shots are mid-range shots. And in the regular in the regular season, that number is only 30.7%. So that four percentage points of shots is moving from the rim to the mid-range. So if people say like the mid-range shot becomes more important in the playoffs, that actually is turning out to be true. It's still not the best shot. In fact, if we want to look at shooting accuracy, it's not actually any better. It's actually almost in the regular season, the mid-range, all mid-range shots. And that means any shot that's in the paint, non-restricted area, or a long two. In the regular season, those are 42%. They're 43 in the paint, non-restricted. They're 41 on long twos. 42%. In the playoffs, that number is still 42.9. It's not a great number. The long two goes up from 41 to 42.6, and the floater stays at 43. And it's just that you're taking a lot more of them. They're not better shots. They're just what's available against elite defensive teams. And elite defensive teams are still taking away the rim, but the good offensive teams are ending up taking away, are able to keep you. The elite offensive teams are able to counter that. And this is where, for the Jazz, this is the Rudy Gobert question. And there's two parts to this Rudy Gobert question. One is, defensively, if it is suddenly... If teams are able to score when you take away the rim, then in some sense, Rudy Gobert's effectiveness is mitigated, but not eliminated. Because still the key to what we're talking about here is that teams aren't getting to the rim. So the fact that Rudy Gobert can take away the rim still seems to be the vital key to anything defensively to winning only 28% of shots are at the rim. If you suddenly allow 32% of your shots at the rim, you're dead. In our playoff series against Dallas, they only took 20% of their shots at the rim. So Rudy Gobert's defensive impact is mitigated, not eliminated. And I think that's a really big, important differential here. It's still the defensive goal is to deny the rim. It's done at even a higher level in the playoffs when everyone's plugged in. The Jazz did it at as high a level as you can imagine at 21%. The problem is the offenses of these teams have multiple dribble drive guys, multiple guys that can break the paint, some of the greatest in the world that can break the paint, Luka Doncic, who then can grab it and pass out of the paint. And while Rudy successfully denies the rim, you need to be able to make the next defensive adjustment. And so I don't think it eliminates Rudy in any way, shape, or form. But if teams are less dependent on the rim, then Rudy's job is to take away the rim and other players 
have to be able to defend the rest of those shots and be able to handle that. And your defensive scheme has to be able to figure that out. But we only allowed 20% of all shots at the rim. We just then allowed a ton of threes. We allowed 49% of opponent's shots to be threes, which is just way too high. Dallas shot every other shot as a three, and then they took 31% of their shots as mid-range shots and 20%. So instead of being like the old dream, remember, we used to talk about was 40-40-20. The optimum shot distribution in the league was 40% at the rim, 40% of your shots as threes, and 20% of your shots as mid-range. We held the Mavericks to 20-50-30, which isn't bad. And 40-40-20 is now gone in this league. In fact, it was 35-45-20, kind of the way I saw it during the season. It might be swinging even down lower, and then the, there just aren't enough threes to go around. And so the mid-range shot becomes even more valuable. Where this does become an issue is that Rudy Gobert offensively in the playoffs can't get to the rim. So as much as everybody's going to first instinct is to talk about this defensively, I would argue this is a much bigger comment to what's going on defensively. And that is that the best teams in the NBA take away the rim. We've established this. It's the vital key to what is winning in the NBA is to take away the rim. And that is all Rudy Gobert has. So the problem the Jazz have is when Rudy Gobert is on the floor and rolling to the basket and he can't get to the basket, is he now clogging up all driving lanes so that other people can't? Is he clogging up driving lanes so he can't play drive and kick? He is still occupying a defender or two. And can we, and can Rudy, so two parts, can we build an offense with Rudy Gobert in the playoffs that just understands he's occupying men, but he's not going to get the ball and he's not going to be a force at the rim. And secondarily, can Rudy Gobert handle that? Because Rudy wants the ball. And third, if we look at our points gained that we've looked at much of the season on Locked On, which is our kind of key stat, Rudy, the key to us being the number one offensive team in the NBA is Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert shooting 72% at the rim and Rudy Gobert getting eight, nine shots a night is word word. You can't catch us. We're mathematically too good. But when Rudy suddenly doesn't get nine, 10 shots a game at the rim and only gets three or four, and we're not getting that mass efficiency there, then our offense falls apart. And we didn't shoot it nearly as well this year. So this is fascinating. This, we could do this for months on end. It's a lot of the conversation we've been having about this team and this franchise and where we sit and what we do about it with actual data to prove that this is the case. And again, let me summarize this so you can take it to the water cooler at the office or talk to your friends about it. In the last three years, there has been a defensive revolution in the NBA that is to deny the rim. And it is happening at an incredible rate. It is even more accentuated in the playoffs because the best teams in the NBA are the ones that can take away the rim. The teams that win are the offenses that are not rim dependent. So therefore, when you get in the playoffs, even though it's still just as vital to take away the rim, it's less impactful because the best teams that are still playing 
are able to score somewhere other than the rim. And for the Jazz specifically, this mitigates some of Rudy Gobert's impact because teams are good enough to play at 15, 18, 22 feet where Rudy's not as impactful. But it does not eliminate his defensive impact. The issue is much more on the offensive side where if we suddenly do not get the offensive input from Rudy Gobert that we're used to getting in the regular season that made us the number one offense, can we find a way to still be an elite offensive team with Rudy Gobert? Or does his non-offensive skills and presence mitigate us from doing that? It might be yes to both, by the way, kind of where we are. Yes, you've got to have him to win. If you have Rudy, you win 50 games because the rim's that important for the regular season. And on the other side, it, it would be that important that, frankly, if you um, that Rudy is an inhibitant to you offensively, but you've got to have him on the floor, which kind of catches you into a catch-22 of what we are right now. And you just probably have to try to do the best you can to improve in every area around those things. Because the fact is, you know, this is what we have. And the fact that frankly, Rudy's great and Rudy, the margin and of, of what it takes to win right now in this league is really slim today. We'll talk about Jordan Clarkson as we continue next. Uh, today's show is brought to you by a good friend's, over at Summit Cap, a local investment group made up of successful business operators, actually just right down the street. They provide capital for management seeking to buy out the owner of a business that they work in. So what I mean by that is, you know somebody works in a business, they know the company, they know the ins and outs, they have the vision to how to take it the next step. The current owners aren't at that stage. They don't want to take the next step. They don't want the risk. So it's time for them maybe to exit, get their exit, strat, their liquid event, and have their exit strategy. But that worker doesn't have the capital to do it. That's where Summit Cap comes in, helps that entrepreneur, gives them the investment that they need, and that person, they, Summit Cap backs that person, and they take the company to the next level, and everybody wins. Everyone wins. The owner gets their out. The new person gets their funding. Summit Cap wins at the end when the company's worth more. Everyone wins. Pretty great. That's what Summit Cap's about. They invested in Lockdown. They were great. Never once did they tell me, when do we get out? They're not that tight. They're not... They're like a private equity or a venture capital fund where they have an artificial timeline. So give Matt an email if you know someone today or text him, 801-796-2033. That's 801-796-2033. Or email LockedOnJazz at SummitCap.com. That's LockedOnJazz at SummitCap.com. And see what Summit Cap can do for you. Today's show is brought to you by our good friends down the road as well. I'm just here in Utah County where everybody is. Built Bar. Grasshopper still available. Brownie. Puffs still available. Granola bars are back. Oh my gosh, it's like heaven at Built Bar. 15 grams of protein means it's granola. That's right, the brand new chocolate coconut granola, chocolate peanut butter granola, and white chocolate berry, or get the granola mix back. The grasshopper cookie is still available for you, plus you get a free gift. And brownie batter, you get a free gift right now. Are you getting the cooler for free? No way. Free cooler with any bar purchase of $14.95 value? I bought my value yesterday and I did not get my free cooler. That's, the cooler's great because the chocolate melts. So when I was on a bike ride this morning, didn't take a bill bar. Had to take one of those gross bars. Came back, opened up the fridge of the van. And what do I have in here? I have brownie pops. I do. Go to built.com, locked15 for your promo code on that. 
It is Locked on Jazz. Thank you very much for making us your first listen of the day. Apologize, the microphone is just off the old computer. We're in the van in the parking lot of a golf course where my daughter is playing today, and I'm holding my business meetings in the van today, hanging out, making myself lunch. Have a dump. That, of course, I have an espresso machine in the van. Don't doubt that at all. Um, uh, Ty wants to know about the van. I'm always willing to talk about the van. The funniest thing about these vans, if anyone follows like van life and all this stuff on every Instagram account they have, there's just not that much you can do about it. I get so excited. I want everyone to come see my van. And then I show it to them and I can tell they're totally underwhelmed every time. Oh, cool. Um, what's the van like? It is, this is the van. It's all bamboo wood. It's kind of cool. Um, the lights are freaking out right now because I have too much stuff plugged in. Uh, there's a Murphy bed in the back. There's a pop top right above me so we can sleep for it. It's a Sprinter 170, which is a little longer than the 144s. It has a microwave, a stove, and a fridge. The sh- we shower, bathroom, but no shower. The shower's out of the back where we pop the doors open, uh, put up a uh, shower curtain, and shower out of the back. I don't have any water in the van right now, so can't do that. Not that anybody, like, I wasn't volunteering, um, but that's it. Um, I love van life. To me, it's, but I'm, a, I'm not normal. Um, I'm Rob Thomas. I'm a, a, what is the line in the Rob Thomas show? Um I'm uh, a little unwell. Um, yeah, so that's, uh, that's, that's the, uh, yeah, that whole thing. What is that? Great. What is it? I'm not crazy. I'm just a little unwell. I like to get away. I'm an only child. I need to get kind of my space. This is kind of, this is my getaway. Kind of like it. I like to road bike for three to four hours on end with nobody around me. It's, I know I'm like all this energy when you guys are around me, but I actually, that's my way of coming down. Um, all right, that was more about me than anybody wanted to know. Let's talk about Jordan Clarkson because um, that's what you really want to know. So Jordan Gere was really interesting. There's, there's really two sides to Jordan Gere. And part of Jordan Gere had to do with assistant coach Jeff Watkinson who tore his Achilles tendon and was out and is somewhat of the Jordan whisperer. And he was out until December. And Jordan just wasn't right. He looked frantic. He looked rushed. He, he looked selfish, frankly, um, and he looked like he was pressing. And if you take him to December 31st, he was shooting 39% from the field, 30% from three, and taking 14 shots in 26 minutes. There's an interesting paradox to Jordan that we'll touch on in a second. So that's the first half of the season. First 35 games, he shoots 39%, 30% from three. He's... He's taking 14 shots in 26 minutes. And honestly, like everything that if you're not a Jordan believer in his game existed. Then we go to January 1st. And right about there is where Jeff Watkinson returned as an assistant coach for the Jazz. And you take Jordan Clarkson for the next 44 games, and he shoots 44% from three, 44% from the field, 33% from three. He averages 17 points. He takes a f- one fewer shots in three more minutes, and it makes all the difference in the world. And then we go to the playoffs, and Jordan was great. Jordan was absolutely terrific in the playoffs. He was dry- He was the drive athlete. Now, he had two games without assists, and he didn't. he's not moving the ball. They're hugging to shooters, and he's not moving the ball. But he was really, really um, – it was he was really, really – Awesome because of his ability to drive, take people in the paint, beat people. And we've talked about it. The playoffs seem to be drivers and athletes, drivers and athletes. 
And that, as much as anything, seems to be what you have to have on your roster. And he's our best driver and our best athlete. Here's the paradox of Jordan Clarkson to me. When Jordan Clarkson came to the Utah Jazz, he was vital to who we were because Quinn was trying to institute, push the ball up early, take your shot early, let it fly. You know, LTFF, right? Like you've heard Jordan, like it's hot. Um, and let it go. And what Jordan's, when Jordan did that, it made Joe shoot, it made Boyan shoot, it made everybody play this faster, easier way, um, get them easy looks. They were great in the first six seconds of the shot clock. And, and that was the goal. And it wasn't selfish basketball. It was aggressive, tempo, push-ahead basketball. And it worked. It's why the Jazz were the number one seed. Indirectly, I wonder if that is part of where the ball movement went. That while it worked beautifully at first – it then started to almost encourage drive lack of ball movement. And we had so many dang possessions this year, which were my turn possessions. Mike Donovan come down, shoot twice. Mike would come down, shoot twice. Boyan would then shoot twice. Then Jordan would want his turn. Like they weren't all on the floor at the same time, but you got it. It was, it was terrible to watch. And I wonder if somewhere in there, we it accidentally shifted from this like free flowing aggressive let it fly to my turn and that the, there's a paradox there somewhere in how that happened um and i wonder if jordan's first 30 games of the year where he was his usage rate was higher than it usually is and he was shooting more than he usually does and he was bad actually made that worse and actually had an influence on that. Not to really Jordan's fault, because that's exactly how you want Jordan to play and what you want Jordan to do. But Jordan's October usage rate in six games was 32%. Then it was 28% in November. Then in December, it settled back down to kind of where he usually is in his 26, 27 but I wonder if that early start to the season, in the opening six games, he shoots 37%, he's shooting 24% from three, and he's just not good, but bombing was where there was a switch. Retrospectively, it wouldn't do anything else. Not sure it's anyone's fault. Kind of just happens. That's why one season's never the next. Um, would be my my quick thought on that, of that that, that really might have been a little bit of what took place there for the Utah Jazz was that that element of Jordan Clarkson just kind of twisted us the other way. Defensively, I think Jordan tried. Um, he's not great, but I thought he tried. And I thought he tried in the playoffs um, as well. And I think that his play in the playoffs and his playoff play in the second half of the season is who Jordan Clarkson is. And he's wildly valuable because of that. And the Jazz have gotten a really maximum amount of Jordan Clarkson. And the other one that's super interesting in the in the postseason is to what we were talking about in the last two days. He's the guy who's taking those mid-range shots. He didn't shoot a lot of threes in the playoffs. In the playoffs, he suddenly went to like four threes a game while taking 15 shots a game. He he went, you know, he took about 33% of his shots as threes instead of 50. And so 
this player we're talking about who's got to, like, in the playoffs, you're not getting to the rim anymore, and you better have that. That's Jordan. Like, he's more valuable to us as maybe a playoff player than in any other time. So there's your Jordan Clarkson season in review. Let's go raid the closet of the Charlotte Hornets. They've got some interesting talent and see if we can find anything we want. Uh, today's show is brought to you by our good friends over at Bet Online. Uh, BetOnline.net doing all sorts of great seeing the number one source for all your betting needs, find all your latest odds, news, sports developments, including this year's basketball playoffs, major league baseball scores, fights, and even more next year's NFL odds. Do it at betonline.net. Today's show also brought to you by Truebill. Truebill saving people on average $720 a year. Some companies make subscriptions hard to cancel. Truebill makes it incredibly simple. Just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. Your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions so you don't have to. Truebill, don't fall for the subscription scam. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. Go right now to Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. Could save you thousands a year. I have Truebill. I actually like it because it tells me some spending things, tells me when I have checks come in, tells me all, does a lot more than just the subscription. It's pretty great. Uh, so check it out, truebill.com slash locked on NBA. Thanks for making Locked On Jazz your first listen of the day. Your second listen today, Locked On NBA Big Board, your daily podcast on the NBA draft with a cadre of NBA draft experts led by Raphael Barlow to know the latest on what's going on with the draft. Jazz having a draft workout uh, with a bunch of players despite not having a draft pick. So glad to see the Jazz still actively looking at talent, seeing who they are. Those are often the let you know, you know, who you might pick up off the G League uh, and things of that nature. So important time. Let's look at the Charlotte Hornets and what they have. This is, to me, an interesting roster. Uh, Mitch Kupchak returning. They're still looking for a head coach. They interviewed... Um, Kenny Atkinson for a second time. Here's where they sit. Um, and we obviously are going to walk into the Gordon Hayward conversation here at some point. But here's where they sit. Gordon Hayward has four years left on his deal. Um, no, they, that's that might not be true. Gordon Hayward has two years left on his deal at 30 and 31. I've been I've been pro Gordon Hayward returning forever because he's actually the perfect player for us, everything we need, everything. I'm I'm not anymore, I don't think. Um, the last ankle injury, never came back from it. His body is continually breaking down. That injury he had in Boston was massively significant. I think he's gamed it amazingly to be able to come back from that. And he's now 32 years old on the wrong side of the aging circle with a body that may be a lot older than 32. I'd be very nervous on the Gordon Hayward thing. It has absolutely nothing to do with him leaving in free agency or anything of that sort. I could care less about that. I want a good player. He's long. He's athletic. He moves it. He can play in the mid-range. There's all sorts of reasons why to like Gordon Hayward. But I'm very concerned of whether his body actually can hold up. And I'm not – if you invest $30 million in him in each of the next two years and his body doesn't hold up, you're in a bit of trouble. Here's a player that's really interesting to me. Terry Rozier. Now, the downside on Terry Rozier, he's another six-foot-one guard. The upside is he can really score it. He's a little actually Jordan Clarkson-esque, frankly. He's tough as hell, or heck, sorry. Um, I was talking to someone the other day about words on the air, and 
said that, you know, only in Utah can we say damn and heck regularly and, and understand. So apologies. He's he's really, really tough. Um, but he's 6'1, 190. So we're into this kind of short player. He is a bona fide scorer in the league. His last three years are 18, 20, and 19. He shoots about 44% overall. He shoots 38% from three. If we're going to kind of talk about the value of the mid-range shot, um, he is not a good mid-range shooter at all. Um, he's a 37% long two shooter at 6'1". He's a half-decent 44% shooter from 10 to 16 feet. And he's as he in the floater zone, he's not good. He's, he'd have to learn how to play that. That's not really his strength. He's a good off-the-bounce three-point shooter. He's a good three-point shooter. And the reason Rozier is interesting is because this is now LaMelo's team. And so Rozier has 21.5 million left this year, 23.2 next year, 24.9 the year after that, and then a non-guaranteed year at 26.6. By the end of this contract, the new TV deal is going to be in, and I'm hearing astronomical numbers, $20 million players are going to be like average players. So this is a great contract. He's 28 years old. LaMelo has become their his team. They're going to have to max up. I think there's a chance that they're willing to move Terry Rozier. Now, do you want Terry Rozier and Donovan Mitchell, 6-1 scoring guards next to each other? Uh, that doesn't sound that appealing. So does Terry, so Terry Rozier to me is super appealing. He's tough. He's feisty. He can do a lot of things. He can really light it up. He is learning how to play. He's getting better. He, I'm not sure he fits. He's got a fabulous contract. Whether he fits us or not is a little questionable with the way our roster is right now. But I think that's an interesting person to keep an eye on. I love that contract. And I do. I am hearing that the next TV contract could have average salaries at 17, 18 million and max players at 70. Like crazy numbers to consider when you look at these long-term contracts that they would just be a total boon. Um, other players on this roster, Mason Plumley is non-guaranteed for next year at 9 million. LaMelo, they're not doing anything with PJ Washington is going to be a restricted free agent the year after next. They have to decide what to do with him. They have James Booknight. They have Kai Jones. They have Jalen McDaniels. They have Nick Richards and they have Miles Bridges who they have to pay, uh, this up year, which they're probably fine with. Miles Bridges is great, but they're now going to have to start paying a few people. They'd love to get up Gordon's 30. I don't know if they can. I'm sure they would probably, frankly, love to move Terry Rozier's 21 million because they're going to pay LaMelo and they're going to pay Miles Bridges. And if they can get something in for that, I think that's a really interesting possibility that doesn't fit for us right now. Frankly, and I don't really like this, but if you were to trade Donovan and you could bring Rozier back in some way while still keeping some of their things, you probably don't take as big a drop. Donovan's much better than Terry Rozier, but he's not, he's not massively like Terry Rozier would be a good poor man's Donovan Mitchell fill in for that job. He's not a great natural point guard. He's a bona fide scorer. You'd have to do some other things around him. I'm not sure he's really your number one option that can carry, but if, 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 Hey, if we move Donovan, we don't have the scoring. So if, if, if with Donovan and you're trying to look back, that's an interesting spot. Now I haven't really got into what we do $20 million, but actually that's a number that's not that hard for us to make a trade to. Um, particularly if they're trying to get off honey and want some player like, frankly, and I hate, I love Boyan, so I'd never want to trade Boyan, but Boyan for Terry Rozier works, um, I think straight up and frankly works for Charlotte too, because 
what Boyan Bogdanovich would be with LaMelo Ball. And Boyan Bogdanovich is one of the most underrated transition players in the NBA. If I'm, if I am the Charlotte Hornets, I would make that trade in one second. Um, Terry Rozier for Boyan Bogdanovich is, makes Charlotte unbelievable. Um, so I don't know, you know, what we need to get in return for it, but that actually works um, in the trade machine. They're both, it's basically, basically the same salary. Um, they, and I would, Boyan would be a monster with LaMelo Ball. It's it, boy. The untalked about thing is that Boyan, 20, 25% of his possessions are in transition. LaMelo would just go find him. So there's some interesting things there, depending where we are, what we do, what our pieces are. Right now, I don't think Terry Rozier fits to us. But I love Terry Rozier's contract, and I like his game. And if we make a bunch of moves, I think Terry Rozier could fit. All right, that is Locked on Jazz. Thanks very much for tuning in. We uh, will probably come to you from the van tomorrow, but I don't know what capacity. Maybe no show tomorrow. I'm not entirely sure on that. Have a great one. Thanks very much for tuning in. Fun stuff this week. Hope you've enjoyed it. Thanks for making Locked on Jazz your first listen.